I want to talk to you about uh, anxiety uh, in this season. It's obviously a big subject uh, and it's understandable right now. But is it ridiculous? Is it a ridiculous idea to think that we can have peace in the middle of this uh, pandemic and all the uncertainties? Uh, I've been looking for helpful commentary really to help me and us uh, on what we're experiencing in lockdown and even as lockdown eases a little bit. Um, and what's this season doing to us emotionally and psychologically? It's a very strange time as we're all aware. Uh, and I found a, I found a, a helpful article uh, on the BBC website in a section called Work Life just on the 27th of May. Um, and this is a psychologist's perspective, some very eminent learned people. And I'll just read you there. Their background, just quickly, uh, as a Dr. Karen Cassaday, a clinical psychologist and managing director of the Anxiety Treatment Center of Greater Chicago, and Dr. David Rosemarin, founder of the Center for Anxiety in New York, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. So these are eminent people. In, in a sense, they're people that, that study worry for a living. They, they understand anxiety. They understand what it does to to the the human mind and emotions and without going into all the details in summary what they're saying is right now to feel anxious and stressed is very understandable because we're in a time of threat uh, to our health and even our lives a time of uncertainty a time of disruption and and that's that's therefore normal to sort of feel some of the things that people are feeling and I read through the article and, and I found a heading that I thought, this is what I'm really looking for, which is what are the best ways to handle my anxiety through this period? Because I just want to say I've experienced anxiety, uh, particularly the first few weeks of this lockdown. Suddenly I'm a church leader that can't meet with the church. Um, uh, we having to and think through everything, move everything online, go digital uh, ramp up uh, what we're doing in terms of social media every day was a school day actually for two weeks nearly every day I had a headache that was what it was doing to me and there are still days and moments where it just feels stressful so I'm like yes what are the best ways to handle this uh, and this is what they said that uh, they're looking forward even to when we resume our routines we must remember that attempting to minimize our anxiety about the transition will only make it more difficult the goal should not be to uh, pretend the anxiety doesn't exist or to race towards a feeling of normality, but rather to accept that it's present and bravely choose to exist and thrive with one's anxiety. So in essence, they're, they're saying there's no fix or cure for how we're feeling. It's understandable in the circumstances and what we need is, is courage to sort of try and live life normally and live with what we're feeling uh, and there is some comfort in this perspective you know no one's expecting us to be super peaceful look at what we're facing this is a reasonable response to what we're surrounded by and what we're all facing every day so there's some comfort in that and it also explains what i find helpful is it explains what is happening to us sometimes what we feel in our bodies, our emotions and our minds are the product of of this unpredictable, disruptive, threatening, dangerous time that we're living in. Um, so we're ending up dealing with feelings of feeling thwarted, 
uh, we maybe feel alone, we're distant for loved ones, life's a bit out of control, we can't plan as we used to, and we feel somewhat at times powerless to fix the threat that we're facing. All of these things swirl around us and, and, and lead to us feeling these senses of stress and anxiety. Um, but is this really the best solution that we have? Uh, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to turn to my Bible and I'm going to turn to someone in the Bible that faced a threat and difficulty uh, on a regular basis. And that's the Apostle Paul. And you need to realize something about him that he lived really he 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 lived in a pre-christian age that he was part of uh, of the the apostolic band that was christianizing the world at that time but the environment he was in was a brutal one it was one that gave that had little value for human life the pre-christian world historians tell us was a pretty difficult brutal place and actually historians are finding out that it's Christianity that civilized the world, and even even the ones that are, that are unbelievers, the atheists, are slowly acknowledging that without the influence of Christianity over the over the centuries, and particularly in those early centuries after Jesus' resurrection, the world would be uncivilized, uncouth, and brutal still. The value for life that we have is rooted in the biblical revelation it's rooted in god it's rooted in the good news the gospel of jesus so paul lived in a context before that he lived in this 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 violent world and i just want to read you a quick extract from his memoirs these are in 2 corinthians 11 uh, verse 24 uh, here's here's an extract from his experiences of life he says five times i received from the jews the 40 lashes minus one Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And at that point he was actually left for dead. Um, <laughs> three times I've been shipwrecked. I've spent night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. Danger from the Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. This guy knew what it was to live in existential threat, which is a fancy word for danger, a threat to your life, to your very existence. He lived with it. Uh, his plans were constantly being changed. He was not always in control of his own destiny. So I'm like, this guy knows what we're going through and some. He's been there, got the t-shirt. So what was his advice? Well, he wrote obviously several letters to churches and I want to pick something out of the letter to the church in Philippi. It was a church that was also in some challenge. It had some internal wrangles and difficulties as well as facing uh, its own uh, persecution uh, in the city that, that, that this church was based in Philippi. So what did Paul write to them? And, uh, we're reading here, this is his advice from his experience of all that that we just read to a church that's going through it. Philippians 4 verse 4 says this is just an extract from his advice. And <laughs> just prepare for this. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is outrageous, Paul. You're telling me to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You're telling me that I can have peace, that anxiety should not be in my life. What are you saying? I've had headaches for two weeks. Well, <laughs> it's worth noting that this church knew that this was Paul's authentic life. This is how he lived. This is the place, this is the city where he and Silas got locked in the darkest dungeon, the sort of deepest place of the jail. And what did they do there? They sang and they praised and they worshipped God. And as a result of that, the gates swung open and the jailer was about to kill himself. And he was probably one of the first converts in this church. They, they knew that Paul was a rejoicer. <laughs> so should we just ignore this text as something a bit unrealistic for our times? Uh, or actually is there something here God's want to show us that we can have peace even if we're feeling threat, danger, uncertainty? Um, is there something here that, that these eminent psychologists have not tapped into? Uh, although they're helping explain how we're feeling, is there something here in the Bible, in the reality that Paul is experiencing and telling us about that helps us live a different way? Um, <laughs> and it would be okay if this only happened once, but you know, there's quite a few exhortations in Scripture. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, I, I want to be clear, I've experienced anxiety in this season and stress. And I'm aware that stuff like this that we're in pushes my buttons in, and, and the, those that are friends of mine, that it pushes their buttons too, that, that we're living with our vulnerabilities. We're living at times with our broken spots. And, and I think Paul knew about that too. He probably didn't have the language for it that we do, but he still said this. And Jesus still said, don't be anxious. So let, let's, let's dig into the scripture. Let, let's take it seriously. Let's see what it can give us. Let's see where Paul can point us at this time where, where we need some help and we want to walk uh, we want to walk with Jesus. We want to walk with the Holy Spirit. Um, let's break down the scripture. Let's see what he's saying and see if it can help us today. Um, and I really, really just want to underline, I don't want you to hear that this is the Bible saying, don't worry, you're naughty if you're worrying. Or even me saying you're naughty if you're worrying. He, he's not telling them off. I'm not telling you off. Or trying to burden you with some impossible task. I just feel that he's offering them a superior solution. Uh, and I want to be part of the superior solution. Because that's going to help me and us shine as the lights we're meant to be in the world around us at this time. Uh, this was a way that he discovered to live in danger, to live in uncertainty, and to live in an out-of-control, brutal world. Um, so he's offering a different style of denial, if you like. First of all, I guess we've already established Paul did not have a cushy life. This is not written by some ivory tower theologian, someone who is wrapped in cotton wool for their own life, living a life of privilege. Now, we've established that was not his experience Secondly, in writing these scriptures, did Paul know something that we don't know? Was there like a secret that he had and we still don't have? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think he tells us all his secrets in the letters that he writes. And he shows us here, even in verse 4, he says, The Lord is at hand. And 
Paul is full of this kind of language, how we are in Christ and Christ is in us and Christ is for us, Jesus is for us and he is with us and he will never leave us. That language we are familiar with, we know it, at least we know it in our heads. I just sense that Paul knew it somehow more deeply, more viscerally, more emotionally than we have yet experienced. That I believe we've come some way in this, but something was in Paul that he wasn't just knowing this in his head. This was deeply foundational to the way that he lived life. And it meant that when he was in that deep, dark dungeon, he didn't worship God and praise him because he'd heard a sermon that said, you know, if you do this, you're going to get set free. Just bubbling out of him was a different reality. I'm in Christ and he is for me. These experiential realities had so impacted him that he wasn't tossed around. He, he wasn't unstable internally. And what came out of him was praise and worship even in the darkest dun dungeon. I believe these realities altered his perception, the lenses that he used to see and interpret life through. He, he, he didn't interpret what he saw and experienced the same way as sometimes I do or we do. Uh, he saw in the death and resurrection of Jesus that God does redemptive opposites. Faced with sickness, Jesus healed. Faith was, faced with a prison door, God got him out. You know, this faced with lack, God supplied later in the letter. He talks about that. God does the redemptive opposite of the challenge we are in. That's what it means to have him for us. That's what it means to have him with us. And so Paul's looking through this lens. It's like, I'm in this fix, but there's a redemptive opposite on its way because that's the God who's with me. So having said all that, what does he advise us to do? He says, pray and petition. Now I'm good. I think I'm good at this. I'm particularly good at the, oh, help God. Oh, please God. Ah, don't you know, Jesus, just help me, help me, help me. Now that's, that's good. That's not, that's not bad. But, but, you know, it's really good to bring him in on the detail, which is what it's about. Uh, this word means about petition. It's unpacking it. Now, of course, he knows the detail of our life. He knows the hair on our head. But we are in an intimate relationship with him. And he's, he's not a God who does breaking and entering. He doesn't crash into our lives. He's looking for us to voluntarily share what we're going through, what are our cares, what are our concerns, and invite him into them uh, willingly. So that's what this is about. Prayer and petition is about engaging with him, giving him permission uh, and giving him a bit more detail than just, oh, help God, which is okay, that's fine, that's appropriate, but he'd love to have a little bit more than that. And yet even this, is there's a context for this because he says it's prayer and petition with thanksgiving and he's already told us to rejoice in the Lord always. So this, this petitioning telling God our needs, telling God our anxieties, telling God our pressures is in the context, let's call it this, of worship, of praise and gratefulness and thanksgiving. It's in a, it's in a worship sandwich. And great prayer that produces peace lives in the context of praise and thanksgiving. So what, what can we learn about this? Because prayer, worship, is vital to our well-being. It's one of the healthiest things we can do with our lives, no matter what state we are in. 
the activation of our emotions and our minds and our thinking towards God is so vital, not because he's distant, but distant because he's present. So I love to listen to worship, have it playing in the car, have it playing in the home. And that's important. But what I'm talking about here is the active engagement of, of my emotions and my mind with God, with his goodness, with 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 the truths that are eternal, with the solid realities of his goodness, of his of his eternal holiness, of of his greatness, of his almighty nature, with with salvation, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, with his eternal unbreakable love. Those things are things you can worship on any time and be happy about at any time and in any place. And that we engage our hearts and our minds. We actually let praise come out of our lips. Yeah, sure, we can sing along to tunes we know that are playing through our sound systems, but that we're engaged with it too. We're not just letting or thinking someone can do it for us. Worship is important. There's a psalm, Psalm 42, talks about deep, calling to deep. There's a place where our emotions are affecting us. So something about worshiping with a depth of emotion that's at least equivalent to the depth of emotion we're feeling about our lives that is releasing and powerful uh, and brings us into a place where we're more aware of his reality than, than our own. So I think he's talking about that. Rejoice and again I say rejoice. And he's talking about thanksgiving. So giving thanks is really crucial to us because what it forces us to do is to recall good news to recall the good things in our life that are already there, even if we're facing lack or uncertainty. And we live in a culture that is actually drowning in bad news. All the news I've ever watched is pretty much all bad news. But we, are, we, are, we have a gospel of good news and God is doing good things and he's given us good things. So it's always possible to find thanksgiving in every circumstance give thanks for the breath that you have thanks for the food on your table thanks for your family if you have one thanks for your job if you have one thanks for the job he's going to give you if you don't have one giving thanks helps you not drown in bad news and remember the good news and secondly it prevents this horrible thing that's around in our culture, which is called entitlement, which is this thing that, well, God ought to bless us or life ought to be easier. You know what? God wants to bless us. He wants to look after us. He wants to meet our needs, but he owes us nothing. He's already given us everything in Jesus, in his love, in his death, in his resurrection. He owes us nothing, but he wants to bless us with everything. So let's not allow ourselves to become uh, in this, uh, slide into this place of entitlement, but remind ourselves to be grateful for what we have and what he's given us already. This praise, this worship, this thanksgiving gives us a context for, th for, for prayer and supplication. And these are acts of will. You may say, you may say, Andy, I don't feel like worshiping. The last thing I want to do is give thanks. The flow of my feelings right now, uh, just not in that place. And wouldn't it be dangerous to deny that? Well, you know, even the psychologists are telling you and I to deny what we feel, or at least not to suppress it, but to deny it a place of governing our life. So what I'm saying is don't, don't deny that our anxiety exists, but deny it a place of running your life. Let your decision be one to worship and pray rather than uh, be, be locked into the emotions that are 
currently in us because of what's happening around us. So Jesus called us to deny ourselves. Even the psychologists are saying, if you want to walk out of unhealthy behaviors and mindsets, you have to start to deny the thoughts and feelings that are producing them. And really, this is what Paul is saying to us here. Only he's pointing us to heaven and he's pointing us to God. Um, so let's hook our emotional wagon to heaven and not to earth through prayer and supplication that is in the context of praise, worship and thanksgiving. Um, and then there's a promise. There's a phenomenal promise that we will be filled with a peace that transcends understanding, that our hearts and minds will be garrisoned literally, they will be guarded with peace that keeps us in Christ Jesus. Now the truth is, you can't lose Jesus and Jesus can't lose you. Uh, he, but, but you can lose the sense of him, the sense of his immediacy, the sense of his presence. And what this is saying is peace that he gives keeps us in that place of awareness and intimacy of his presence. And this peace is beyond understanding. So it's unreasonable. So in a time where it's unreasonable to have peace, you and I can have peace because it comes from heaven. It comes from God who is peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The content of God, if you like, is peace as well as joy and righteousness. And as we plug into him and his reality, his reality floods us afresh and we are kept aware of who he is even in the midst of bad news and uncertainty and difficulty. He wants to do a trade today. He wants us to trade whatever our stresses are, whatever my stresses are, whatever's giving me a headache, he wants to trade. Uh, uh, whatever's triggering you, he wants to trade that you would know his peace. Yeah, you can be in process. Yeah, there's things going on in your life that are not sorted yet. That's okay. But you can still know his peace right now because it transcends our issues. It is beyond uh, understanding, if you like. It's not a reasonable peace. It's a transcendent peace. And that will enable us to be guided by his peace rather than led by our anxieties. That means we're going to make great decisions in this season of uncertainty rather than anxious decisions in this season of uncertainty. Uh, they are not always good ones. So here's a great time, a great opportunity we have to cultivate gratefulness and worship in the, and make that the context for our heartfelt prayer. Now's a great time to let go of our anxieties and trade them for God's peace. They're not, that, if that set of feelings are not the inevitable outcome of our environment. We can enjoy the peace of God we can enjoy the unreasonable, wonderful presence of God. And you know that peace? That's what leads us to joy. That's what leads us to the joy of the Lord because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and it's the peace that keeps you in the presence. <laughs> just think about that. So I'd love to pray with you just in closing. Heavenly Father, thank you for our families. Thank you for our jobs if we have them. Thank you for the jobs you're going to give us if we need them. Thank you for the food on our tables. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. And Jesus, praise you 
for the forgiveness you've given us. Praise you that we're new creations in Christ. Praise you for your resurrection and your death. Praise you for all the things you've already given us. And thank you, God, that you're concerned about what concerns us. You care about what we care about. You understand our stresses and our concerns and our anxieties right now. And we want to trade them for your peace. And right now, God, I want to pray that in that peace, in that shalom of heaven, which is what it, this is talking about, it's the goodness, the yummy goodness of God, the well-being of God, that you would release to families new energy to get through another week with their kids at home. God, that you would release jobs to people who have just lost them. You would keep providing food for our tables and breath for our lungs. God, you would give us peace and you would give us wisdom in this season. And Father God that we would enjoy that well-being of heaven in our families, in our homes, in our houses, in our cars, in our jobs. In Jesus' name, amen.